0: Kevin Powell is six foot six, broadly built, wanted for two murders. I suspect he'd be a very useful asset to an organised crime gang. He needs, I think, to stand in a court of law and answer the allegations made against him. The links to Ireland are, uh, are in escape. He has travelled to Ireland whilst he's been on the run. It dominates my life. I'm never going to give up. up.
1: I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld, in Ireland and across the globe. He was Crime World's first guest when the former Scotland Yard detective told us about two gangland murders, a missing fugitive, and his quest to find the elusive Kevin Parle. Now, Peter Blexley reveals the details of his ongoing hunt for parl and how he believes he may have been in Ireland and could even have an Irish girlfriend. The top podcaster, whose Manhunt series is one of the BBC's top shows, hasn't let COVID or the passage of time get between him and his folly. And today, he tells me how he is as determined as ever to find Britain's most wanted man. This is Crime World a podcast from SundayWorld.com? Peter, were you aware that you were the first guest on Crime World? And since you were on, we have grown our listenership to, you know, pretty levels we're pretty proud of. are up there in the charts now. So, Today, the story you're going to tell is going to hit a lot more people than the first time you were on. So I thought that we would go back to the heart of this story and to the beginning. And if you tell us, who is Kevin Parle?
0: Well, thank you very much for having me on. I'm I'm deeply flattered and hugely appreciative. To start this story, we need to rewind to June of 2004 when a 16-year-old boy called Liam Kelly, a boy, gets called on to what is known in certain criminal circles as a straightener. He's called on to this meeting in the early hours of a Saturday morning, and it's actually around 200 pounds. This is how pathetic it is. It starts with a debt of 200 pounds. So 16-year-old Liam is called on to this straightener. He gets out of a car and he's approached by two men, um, one of whom was Anthony Campbell, a man who admitted calling Liam onto this meeting and who subsequently pleaded guilty to Liam's murder and is now doing life. And another man that the court was told was Kevin Parr. But I have to make it clear, Kevin Parr has never stood trial for this because after his initial arrest, he was granted bail and he never answered to that bail. Which is why he's wanted. Young Liam turns around and is blasted twice by a shotgun. Falls to the ground, crawls to a nearby house where a relative of his lives. But sadly, Liam cannot be saved. Um mm. a number of people were arrested in the early stages of that inquiry, including Anthony Campbell that I just spoke about, Kevin Parle, uh, a man called Peter Sinclair, and a young lady who naively at the time thought she was Kevin Powell's only girlfriend. Um, That young lady gave a false alibi statement to the benefit of Powell. So because the police were up against a ticking clock in terms of how long they could detain him, they had to grant him bail. And Powell never uh, answered to that bail and became wanted. Mm. If if, if we then go forward 14 months to August of 2005, a 22-year-old mother of three young children called Lucy Hargreaves, is on her sofa at home in the Walton area of Liverpool when three men smash her front door in and she is also blasted with a shotgun. Uh, Her body and her house is then doused in petrol and set on fire and Lucy dies of her injuries. The court was later told that Lucy's murder essentially was a case of mistaken identity because the prosecution believed the intended target of that attack on her home was, in fact, her partner, Gary Campbell, the father of their three children. Gary was upstairs with the youngest child at the time. So those are the two horrendous murders that Kevin Parley's wanted for. There's a European arrest warrant out for him. Um, He's on the National Crime Agency's wanted list. And in April 2019, I decided to start hunting for him. Fortunately, my hunt, which is very much ongoing and dominates my my life, um, is the subject of a BBC podcast called "Manhunt: Finding Kevin Powell. We're dropping an episode a week um, this week. I've been
1: listening, Peter. I've been listening.
0: Well, thank you very much indeed. Um, And it was the subject of my most recent book, which was published in September 2020. It dominates my life. I'm never going to give up. Uh, And this week's episode is called He's Dead, Mate, because we explore a lot of the theories that are put forward, a lot of the noise and trolling that I hear when people try to maintain that Kevin Parle is in fact dead.
1: Mm. So Parle, going back to those two murders, the, the, um, the shooting of Liam Kelly and Lucy Hargreaves, he is a Liverpudlian in Merseyside, which we know big links between criminal gangs in Liverpool and in Dublin and, of course, out to the south coast of Spain. But, Parl is, is he working as an enforcer for gangs? Is he collecting debts? Has he got his own kind of a, a drug business going or, or what is he back then?
0: Well, in the nearly three years that I've been hunting him, A number of courageous people have come forward to tell me what they know. The biggest challenge for me has been trying to sort out the wheat from the chaff, the truth from the lies. And because essentially it's me doing this hunt, that's very difficult. I don't have access to police databases, so I cannot attempt to cross-reference information and the like. But if the information that I have been able to kind of corroborate through doing open source inquiries turns out to be true, then it would appear to me that Kevin Powell recently has been based in southern Spain and has been part of a successful criminal network, which it'll come as no surprise to anybody, I would imagine, are involved in the illegal drugs industry. Kevin Powell is six foot six, broadly built, wanted for two murders, I suspect you'd be a very useful asset to an organised crime gang, especially if you're standing on a quayside in southern Spain negotiating with some South Americans for a huge consignment of cocaine, for example, or with some people from North Africa and you're trying to sort out a a vast shipment of cannabis. Kevin Powell's a pretty useful sort of bloke to have by your side because you could say to the bad guys, well, look, don't rip me off. Don't supply me with substandard gear, don't try and steal our money, because if you do, my mate Kevier gets a bit upset and you know what he's capable of doing. So I've got to try and turn him from an asset into a liability so that somebody eventually picks up the phone and rings Crime Stoppers or Merseyside Police or the National Crime Agency or even me on my faithful 10 quid burner that I bought nearly three years ago. And has been the best 10 <laughs> quid I've ever
1: spent. Love those old phones. Um, going back, so that's what you believe he's doing at the moment. He obviously was doing that then. And his size always was going to attract... Um, gangs to him as an enforcer, as somebody who'd come along with the heavy handed approach for paying the debts. Because as we all know, money is what makes that world spin around. But what else do you know about his background and about what what he was like? Has he any close family relations that he may still be in touch with? Did he have any children? Um, you know, are You've kind of alluded to the fact that maybe he's a bit of a womaniser without much loyalty to any one female in his life. But are there people he may be still in touch with?
0: Now, I'm going to pick up first and foremost on the children bit. Um, Certainly when he went on the run, he wasn't a father. And last week I was in Liverpool on Thursday. And I had a very interesting meeting with a journalist up there. And after that, I had a couple of hours to kill before I caught my train back to London. So I'm doing what I usually do, which is put up laminated A4 posters um, and attach them with cable ties to lampposts in in parts of the city where I think they will be seen by people that I want to grab the attention of. So as I'm doing this and handing out smaller A5 flyers to people engaging in conversations, a young man, for me a young man, in his 30s I would say, very smartly turned out in that designer tracksuit baseball cap kind of way. You know, trainers that look like they cost a fortune, Um, a look that I could simply never carry off. But (laughs) it suited him and he looked really kind of smart in that dressed down tracksuit way. And he came up to me and he said, like a number of people do, you know he's dead, don't you? And we engaged in conversation. And what for me was very interesting and flew in the face of what this man originally said to me was that after a few minutes of talking, he said, Kevin Parr hasn't got any kids, has he? And I said, no. And it was kind of interesting how we'd gone from talking about him in the past tense um, to then talking about Paul in the present tense and having no kids. And the reason kids have come up in the conversation was this young man I was talking to admitted to me he'd spent two and a half years on the run himself. Nice. And he, he'd been telling me how difficult it was to be on the run when you're missing your family, you're missing home, you're missing those people that, that are your loved ones. And I just thought that was a bit of a telltale sign. The way he, he came into the, into the current tense and said, he hasn't got any kids in the mm. in the context of so it will be easier for Pal because he won't be missing those uh, his, 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 any children of his. Um, yeah, he's got family back in Liverpool um, who actually went to Merseyside Police and accused me of harassment. Mm. Um, I wasn't harassing them. I was putting flyers through their door and together with a business card and asking them to contact me. In fact, when the uh, senior detective from Merseyside Police kind of tried to warn me about harassing them. I did happen to say to him, Well, shouldn't that really be your job? Shouldn't you be harassing the Power family?
1: So has he a parent left, Peter?
0: Yeah, yeah. Both parents, as far as I know, are still alive. They they split up and uh, are with different partners. Mm. Um, um yeah, and they're still um around Liverpool. Um, okay. and he's got a he's got a a, a stepsister or a half sister Brother and um, a couple of brothers.
1: And presumably very strong connections there. If he went to school, he must have friends. He must have had former associates, etc. And uh, talk about the girlfriends, because um, you say that there was one girl that was with him at the time of his arrest for the Liam Kelly murder. She believed she was the only one, but clearly she wasn't.
0: Yeah, Kevin Powell is, is a womaniser. We've spoken to a number of uh, former girlfriends. And they tell these stories of this initially charming man who will hold open doors and will buy dinner and can talk about a range of things, including opera. Because um, he was he was privately educated, Paul. Uh, he didn't come from the tough side of the street in places like Croxteth or Toxteth or Hyten or Norris Green where many notorious Liverpool criminals have originated from. No, he came from the south side of the city, a sort of leafy, semi-detached kind of upbringing. And they fell for his charms. But more than one of them told me that there was a very nasty undercurrent to Kevin Powell. And after you'd got over that initial charm and you wanted him in your life, um, he then became a pretty unpleasant and sometimes violent sort of character, um, who drove fast, drove very fast. And we hear this from a lot of people. He drove like a lunatic um, Mm. on many an occasion. One former girlfriend was particularly appalled because he showed her a video on his phone, which he claimed was his dog worrying sheep and attacking them. And Paul thought that was funny, and the girlfriend at the time was horrified by it. So I think these initial charming kind of characteristics fairly soon wore a bit thin, and more of his true colours came through.
1: Mm. And had he a particular type of woman, or was he, you know, prone to be charming to, to any woman he came across?
0: The women that I've spoken to at length. Both came from decent backgrounds. One home in particular was very comfortable, must have been worth a fortune. Um, parents that ran their own companies and, and were all very sort of respectable, some might say, pillars of society. So his charms mm-hmm. worked. And I guess if he could talk about opera and the like, he might have appealed to a, a, a wider kind of demographic Mm. of, of, of young women. But of course, the recent information that I've received, which I'm trying to bottom out, basically, is that he's got an Irish girlfriend. And I'm going to make no apologies for quoting you from a conversation we had not so long ago. And I've used this line to just about anybody who'll listen to me. When you said... If he's got an Irish girlfriend, her mammy will
1: know. She's probably, she's probably cooked him some potatoes at some point, I'd say.
0: Well, maybe she has, again. You see, the, the, the links to Ireland are, are inescapable. People have told me that he has travelled to Ireland whilst he's been on the run. And, of course, mm. those links between certain Irish criminals and Liverpool criminals are very well known. Um, and, and it just keeps cropping up links to Ireland all the
1: time. Well, let's state the obvious here. Kevin Parle, you know, if he's alive, which you presume he is, is not uh, going by that name anymore. He is going to be operating under a false name and with false documentation and a false passport. And it's highly likely that he is um, using that new identity and people around him, even though they may know who he is, they're still using that new identity. He'll never be referred to as Kevin. So if somebody is seeing a six foot six guy with ginger hair, I think you said he had before, um, or certainly had, um, and his name is Stephen, it's likely, as likely as it, you know, he's obviously not going by his name, is he?
0: Funnily enough, amongst the criminal circles that are harbouring and funding him, he's still known as Kev. Wow. But but I think if he's travelling... And if he's traveling as a passenger across borders, then he's going to need some form of identification. And it's fairly Mm. common knowledge that you can get yourself a very decent uh, forged passport or an altered passport down on the costas in Spain for about €3,000. But I've also heard that he travels as, as cargo. Now, that, of course, would kind of make sense if we're talking about a busy port, for example, whereby there may be a lot of container traffic, then it's not an overly sophisticated thing to secrete yourself away in a container with a suitable oxygen supply. Um, And if you've got people on-site at your destination, then it wouldn't be too difficult to open up that container, for example. And, and off you go.
1: And it's a safer way for him, no doubt, because given his height, you know, he will stand out on any transportation CCTV there is, be it in an airport or on a ferry terminal. Um, you know, in the crowd, this guy is going to be literally a head and shoulders above everybody else. But if we start in, in April 2019, when you started your manhunt um just tell me, before we get on to the Irish connections in detail, where did, where are you able to track him and, and are you able to establish at this point a kind of a timeline since he goes missing, where he's been and where you now believe he is? He is.
0: Yeah, so I'd done obviously quite a bit of background research before I launched my hunt for him at a press conference in London on the 29th of April, 2019. And soon after that, uh, my podcast editor, Mark and I were on a train heading to Liverpool. And in the early stages, I spent a lot of time in Liverpool, got a lot of great press from in the Northwest, the Liverpool Echo newspaper, regional TV news and radio, all of that, and handed out thousands of flyers, trying to raise his profile, let people know what I was doing. And quite literally within a, a matter of hours, people were, were ringing me up. A lot of people in Liverpool have never heard his name, bizarrely, Um, and and that's part of the reason why I decided to hunt Kevin Powell because he's lived a bit of a life of Riley, if you don't mind me saying so. He should be a household name in the UK because of the nature of the Mm. crimes that he's wanted for, murdering a child and a 22-year-old young mum of three. But he's not. He's kind of gone under the radar. And such a large part of what I'm doing is trying to raise his profile and the knowledge of the crimes he's wanted for, so pretty pretty quickly, we established that he'd gone to Spain. Not long after Lucy's murder, and we travelled down to Spain to a place called Torrevieja, um, the Misol holiday park, which is a mixture of permanent caravans, um, sort of other holiday lets. Um, it was rather nice with a bar, a restaurant, a pool and it and, um, was a little bit off the beaten track. Very nice if that's where you want to go and enjoy the sun on your back. And that community, there was a community there because some people live there permanently. And it was beyond doubt that he had been there. And people gave us some pretty um, good testimonies about information that they knew about him and, and the scousers that he was hanging around with down there. And unfortunately, not long after Paul disappeared from there, Merseyside detectives turned up. But of course, they were too late. Um, he then went to Thailand at some point because somebody that knew him well actually saw him in thailand a positive sighting so not one of the many sightings that i've had when well-intentioned people have said i think i saw him here or i think i saw him there Um, this person pal, had known him for a long time definitely saw him in thailand there's a bit of mystery as to where he might Mm -hmm. have been in, in after that sighting but interestingly in 2016 the media and the national crime agency ...reported that Pahl had been seen in Perth, Western Australia. Now, that's never been fully bottomed out. And I am continuing to try and and do exactly that. But it's interesting that, that Perth featured so heavily. And what has been interesting for me... ...is that Merseyside Police, to whom I've passed a lot of information... ...in the last 34 months have often just sent me an email back, you know, two weeks later, thank you for your email, um, and not very much else, but when I've mentioned information about Australia, they've been all over me like a rash, tell me more, tell me more, where was it, when was it, so that might give you some sort of indicator, that they they put some considerable store, on that, that meeting, down there in Perth, well,
1: it- Of course, they're not going to tell us where their information came from. And presumably when they don't, it's coming from some sort of an informant and a trusted one. Um, And probably like your own information, somebody who spots somebody in a crowd that they've seen in a newspaper or in a photograph isn't as reliable a witness as somebody who knows the individual and sees them. So... We can presume that the NCA, if they released that information in 2016, they'd very good info that he was there. What happens after that? You seem to have of late brought him back to Spain. Undoubtedly.
0: Um, mm. Yeah, I'm utterly convinced by the testimonies of various people that we've spoken to. <clears> there. <throat> I've had two trips to Spain. One, of course, before the wretched virus kicked in. And my most recent one, was in October of last year, when we had 11 days down there. Covered about 1,700 miles in 11 days. Went to uh, a number of locations that I know were linked to the organisation that I believe have been harbouring him. Knocked on a lot of doors. Um, and, uh, and And certain people have said, whilst we've been on those trips to Spain... Oh yeah, I saw him. He was here, and their testimonies mm. and what they've got to say can all kind of be be heard in, in our podcast. And there's more to come. So I'm mm-hmm. utterly convinced that he's been down there on more than one occasion. And I know it looks so blatantly obvious um, that you think, well, haven't the British National Crime Agency captured him by now? Well. Their Operation Captura, which they launched some years ago, did capture 85 out of the 95 that they had on that list. But it hasn't been 100% successful. So, And bearing in mind that I keep hearing that he's a part of this network that have him well hidden, well funded, well protected. Perhaps it's not surprising. <laughs>
1: and w- when you were back in Spain this time are you back around the Torrevieja region which of course is in the Costa Blanca and quite a distance from the Costa del Sol where i mean there are two separate regions but both of them are areas that are heavy on the expats and there is a you know a heavy criminal underworld in both in both locations and in both locations there would be quite a heavy irish presence as well
0: yes pretty much any town that we went to would have a an Irish bar, of course. Um, mm. I resisted the temptation to go in all of them because we had a lot of work to do. But, um, yeah, <laughs> we 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 went from as far sort of north as Javier down to not far short of Marbella and many places mm. in between, including uh, a rather nice complex with a golf course, four-star hotel, many, many villas, apartments and, you know, a lovely place to spend mm-hmm. your time if that is your kind of thing, which was where we'd been told Paul had actually been seen and was was being put up in, a, in an apartment.
1: Now, you talk about this criminal network, you believe, are harbouring him and clearly they're not doing that out of the goodness of their heart. They're using him. He's working for them and... He is operating presumably as an enforcer, a heavy whatever that is. Um, The connections to that criminal network brought you to Ireland more recently, even than you were in Spain. And you were down along the south coast investigating an incident that occurred there that is somewhat linked to this larger grouping, you believe, are harboring Parle. So just tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yes, well... My editor and I had the great good fortune to fly into Cork in February and we were so lucky with the weather. We had two days of brilliant sunshine because, of course, we were going to visit the site of that very infamous and failed cocaine importation from 2007, commonly known over here as Dunloch Bay or the mizzen head or, um, yeah, that, mm. that enormous conspiracy, which, bizarrely enough, involved a former Metropolitan Police Detective Sergeant who lived 240 yards from where I'm talking to you from now, my house. His name was mm. Mick Daly. He was a neighbour of mine. And I would pass his house regularly <clears throat> and have a conversation with him. <clears throat> Although um, he was in no way, shape, or form, a friend of mine. We knew each other Mm -hmm. because we'd both been in the Met. So that global failed drugs importation was of a tonne and a half of cocaine, which at the time, I think, the guards put a street value on, on it of 440 million euros, so nearly half a billion euros, um, and rather comically, all went wrong when the rigid inflatable boat that they steered out into the Atlantic to meet the inappropriately named catamaran called Lucky Day, because it certainly wasn't their lucky Day. The tonne and a half of cocaine got taken from the catamaran and put on the rigid inflatable boat or the rib. Um, but because the weather was unseasonably kind of choppy, or the sea was that day. I think there was a three-meter swell, the man from the, the lifeboat told me. Um, they used up a lot of fuel, getting the Rib out to meet the yacht. And so the Rib needed refueling. Well, the Rib had two very powerful outboard motors that used petrol. And the criminals foolishly filled those engines with diesel that was on board the lucky day so of course the the rib with the ton and a half of coke didn't make it ashore at dunlock bay because the engines coughed and splattered to a halt the 3 meter swell um ended mean, meant that the rib started taking on water the two heavy outboards i think went, went first kind of tipped it up and 63 or 64 bales each containing about 20 kilos of cocaine, together with three men, all went into the Atlantic. And Mm. from then, that global conspiracy all unravelled.
1: It was the stuff of movies, that one, with the the cocaine and the criminals all in the drink, as they call it here, Um, and them having to swim ashore to try and... Um, you know, to try and basically save their own lives as the cocaine bobbed around off the coast of Cork. Um, and a lot of it was taken in by the, the Navy and um, the, the the rescue boats that went out on the mission. But the gang, yes, the that whole conspiracy to bring that cocaine across the world um, unravelled and there were some very, very serious criminals, including... Your neighbour, the, the Metropolitan Police officer caught up in it.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed. And somebody who wasn't charged with that conspiracy, but who got mentioned in court, we in the podcast call him Ian. Now, we've had to give him that name because we don't want the undeserving to sue us. So it's for legal reasons that we've called him Ian. Ian got mentioned in the trial into that Dunlough Bay conspiracy. And Ian, who does have a past, shall we say it as he admitted, admits it, he does have a past, um, I firmly believe is linked to the organization that not so recently was harboring and funding Kevin Park. so in terms of the global nature of Dunloch Bay, the size of it, the scale of it, that for me perfectly illustrates the kind of criminality mm. that I strongly believe. Is currently looking after Kevin Park, so that's why we we flew mm. in Cork. That's why we had a couple of great days out there, meeting some wonderful people, telling us brilliant stories about that. Because it's still a big story, fifteen years later. I mean, it, it's I kind of which one's my favourite? Well, I I love I just love these lilting accents and the, the hospitality that we were shown and the friendliness that people extended to us. One story was great. This guy said, so there was these sort of people with London accents claiming to be visiting relatives um, in their four-by-fours or their Land Rovers, and they had a horse box, but none of us ever saw them with a horse. Right. You know, you know, and, and, and people were able to join all the dots up after, as you say, the, the coke had gone in the drink and, and they'd all been arrested. And the tales abound from out there. And the lovely little villages, hamlets and towns that we visited. And, yes, I had a pint or three of Guinness, as you would imagine, which I'm a bit partial to. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was just great. And when you say the the stuff of movies, of course, The Young Offenders, I think, was released in 2016. And I haven't seen it, but I definitely will watch that comedy because it also spans the three series of the of the TV series.
1: It's hilarious, but you know, when you're talking about that, you can never underestimate the intelligence gathering of a rural community when somebody, you know, criminals think, oh, we'll hide out there because sure it's quiet and who'd ever think. Actually, you're far better off hiding out in an urban area where people don't recognise things like that as much. You know, you always see that over, over history and time that, you know, anything out of place in a more rural community stands out like a sore thumb, doesn't it?
0: It does. Um, and whilst some of the stories were quite humorous and informative, particularly about the cottage that they rented, which is where they sort of set up their operational command with the satellite navigations and complex mapping and all that kind of stuff. One prominent man from a small village out there on the West Coast pulled me aside um, as, as we were leaving. We'd had a drink and a natter with the fellas. He pulled me aside, and he didn't want to elaborate, but he did say, Peter, he said, the effect of that crime on this area was horrendous. Mm. So, sadly, as I say, he told me no more, um, but he looked every inch to be genuine. So, for many people, it wasn't perhaps the sort of jokey comedy caper that I'm, and um, um, the, the amusement that I get out of it by them putting the wrong fuel in the tanks, perhaps that amusement is not shared by everybody out there who suddenly found themselves having guards in their city with their, you know, semi-automatic rifles, wearing body armor and the like—a sight which those areas are utterly unused to.
1: Definitely, and look—it's not very comfortable to think that international criminals of that calibre have identified your little cove as the place that they're going to bring all their their drugs and what follows on from that, obviously, is guns, etc. In with, um, apart from from the the connection with some of the Dunlock Bay crooks, which of course don't come from here, the possibility that you're still open minded to that he has an Irish girlfriend—you're really appealing, maybe, to people that are on the fringes of the Costa del Sol, Costa Blanca, expat, people who are visiting that direction, people who maybe have second homes out there because a lot of Irish people do. Um, And obviously anybody within and the surrounds of the criminal underworld that may know where Kevin Parle is. And they're the sort of people really you're appealing to.
0: Without a doubt. I'm very glad to be speaking to your broad audience, but the people I'm actually appealing to is a very, very narrow audience, because I kind of divide the people that are interested in the hunt for Kevin Powell into two sort of groups, and I mean the people that contact me. There's the well-intentioned, and there's the well-informed. The well-intentioned will say to me, I think I saw him on a bus today, or I think he's living in a terrorist house in Sheffield. And that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to people that want to contact with me, contact me with that information, and I would never um treat it with, with any disrespect. But of the people I really want to hear from, and I don't mind if they contact the National Crime Agency, Crime Stoppers, Merseyside Police, or whoever they speak to. It doesn't have to be me. But the people I would like to speak to, yeah, are the the well informed. The people that mm. could help pinpoint Kevin Powell's exact location because paul of course is not convicted of either of these crimes but there's a european arrest warrant out for him he needs i think to stand in a court of law and answer the allegations made against him hmm. i've certainly not made any judgment as to whether he's guilty or not of these crimes because i've not investigated those crimes this is a hunt for kevin paul but if we are to believe in right over wrong, truth over lies, and good over evil, then I think we need to believe in justice. And we want to see some kind of um some kind of end to to this story. And that would be mm. Kevin Powell standing in a court and answering the allegations.
1: And on your new series on one of the episodes you've so far released of Manhunt um, you speak to Lucy Hargrew's partner and I, I noticed that you pointed out to him he blames himself and he says, you know, it was my fault, it was meant for me. Um, and you're saying to him, no, actually, it wasn't your fault. It was whoever pulled the trigger.
0: Undoubtedly. And Gary, unfortunately, and I don't think I'll upset him for saying this, but Gary still has a lot of trauma that he hasn't kind of worked through properly yet. And I wish he would. I'm always reaching out to him and asking him to get the help that I think he needs. Unfortunately, my words appear to fall on deaf ears, but Gary's an adult, he's 44 now. And I'd like to see him really get his life on a good track. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, he is racked with guilt because he firmly believes, and there's some truth in that, that he was the intended target that night. He readily accepts how different life would be if Lucy hadn't been brutally murdered. Um, and it's a very, very sad tale. The, the ripples that go out from one of these crimes. <clears throat> and here I am, you know, speaking to you and your audience, I suspect many of whom will have a far greater understanding and appreciation of this. So forgive me. But the ripples that, that, that emanate out from a crime like this and the impact last for years and years and years and sometimes blight people's lives forever. And justice, I think, is very, very important to the overwhelming majority of us. If we don't have a sense of justice, then we take the law into our own hands, don't we? And, and we know where that can so often and tragically lead.
1: We do. And, you know, I think it can affect generations like there's uh, Lucy Hargreaves, three young children. And not that her life was any more important than Liam Kelly's. Both of them were were gunned down. But those children have grown up without a mother. They will parent without having had that experience of having a mother. And it does. The ripple effects go on and on and on through the generations. But um, well, Peter, the best of luck and You know, if you want to, how can anybody contact you if they have any information on Kevin Parle?
0: I would say I'm one of the most easily contactable people on the planet. Um, I'll start off with my trusty £10 burner phone. Obviously, it's a UK number. Um, 07908 617 694. There's my website peterblexley.com. Blexley is B-L-E-K-S-L-E-Y. You can message me through that. I'm Mm. on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All as Peter Blexley. I'm more than happy for people to contact me anonymously. Uh, You know, if they want to ring from a withheld number or anything like that, that's all fine. If they want to use a VPN and set up a, uh, a kind of ghost email account just to send a message to my website, use a VPN, bounce it all around the world so IP addresses are not detectable. I won't try and find out who you are anyway because I'm frankly mm. not interested in that. I never show people that that kind of disrespect yeah. and disservice by trying to find out who they are. That's not my game at all. And um, yeah, so please... If, you, if, if you're in the know or if you've got a thought or a theory or something you want to share, um, then please, please get in touch.
1: Well, Peter, thanks a million and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, Why not download the free Sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.